Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravalle and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funcas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today, we're covering one of the most concerning developments we're witnessing over the past few weeks. I'm referring to the rising energy prices. As cold temperatures start knocking on our doors, some fear we are approaching an expensive winter. Since January 2021, natural gas prices have increased by more than 170% in Europe. So what is exactly driving energy prices up and what can we do about it? Is this a first taste of how expensive the green transition is actually going to be? To answer to all of these questions, I'm joined by two great analysts. So let me welcome Annika Hedberg, Head of Sustainable Prosperity for Europe program at European Policy Center. Welcome, Annika. Thank you very much. Happy to join you. And also joining us, a very familiar voice in this podcast, Raymond Torres, Funcas Europe Director. Welcome, Raymond. Hello. Very happy to join Annika for this discussion. Great. Um, so, so let's start by, Annika, I wanted to ask you first, um, how much is the rise in electricity prices that we are seeing over the last weeks? How much is this going to complicate the plans for the uh, green transition in Europe? I would say that obviously, uh, currently, the latest development on energy prices, they're all across the news. Um, and you could imagine, and obviously, people feel these in their purses and in their day-to-day -day lives. And this could have serious consequences for the buy-in and, uh, and also adopting um, the Fit for 55 package that the Commission has proposed. And overall, uh, as such, to, uh, in complicating the transition to green economy. At the same time, I think that this is actually happening at a very good time because it allows us to have a frank discussion and also to manage some of the misinformation about electricity prices and what are the drivers to this rise in electricity prices. And this way we can help to manage public concerns also as we go forward in transitioning to the green economy. And if, if I may, maybe I can just uh, say two things with, this, um, with this, um, on this issue. So first of all, the rising of energy prices is not a new thing. You know, unfortunately, actually, energy poverty is a serious issue across the EU. It has already existed for a long time, and this is not due to climate action. And this is something that we increasingly obviously need to address. Uh, but I think it's important to keep in mind that this is not a new thing. And what at the moment is driving energy prices is the price for fossil fuels as a lot of the flexibility in our energy systems comes from the use of fossil fuels. And now as gas prices have been skyrocketing, this is reflected in the electricity prices. And what explains again the hike in 
these gas prices is the fact that we've seen an increase in natural gas demand. Um, because people are waking up from the pandemic and we're starting to return, uh, many are starting to return back to normal and this is leading to an increase in natural gas demand. There have been also concerns that there have been um, supply disruptions um, caused by, for example, maintenance issues. And obviously there is this bigger issue around the fact that we had less windy than usual summer and as a result uh, less wind-generated power. So, but I would say, like to remind the audience that in fact, what is driving the hike in the electricity prices is actually the use of fossil fuels and especially natural gas. And uh, this actually raises serious issues around where our energy comes from and what energy sources we do we use. And I'll be happy to say more about in this, but in fact, this crisis can actually be used to turn the narrative in favor of clean energy transition and actually making uh, the narrative very much about seeing that clean energy transition can actually be a solution to the current high energy prices rather than the cause and the problem. Thank you, Annika. I think that's um, that's very interesting. I, I buy that, the fact that we can turn the narrative. I think that's that's a great idea and I think it's a but it's quite a challenge as well uh, so Raymond what's your reaction to that in terms of how much this this trend can complicate and can challenge the energy transition yes I, I very much agree with uh, Anika in fact I believe we are in the middle of a, a bit of a paradox because on the one hand this very significant increase in, in electricity prices uh, and indeed the price of gas uh, which also uh, influences not only electricity but other other energy costs. In a way, uh, it shows that the it, it only highlights the importance of shifting as quickly as possible to renewable sources of energy. Because obviously, if we today we we could rely uh, much more on renewable sources of energy. The problem would be much less. But on the other hand, and that's where the paradox lies. In a way, uh, it um, complicates to some extent this task. In the, in the following way. First of all, because some may, may be tempted to expand, to, to take the advantage of uh, the, this crisis, and therefore very, very expensive, for example, gas prices, to expand, expand the supply and investment in gas sources of energy, um, which would, of course, be counterproductive and, and in a way contradictory with our climate, climate change objectives. And in addition to that, there may be, in the case more specifically of the electricity market, maybe a temptation also by some to use coal instead of gas as a, a supplement, as a way to kind of top up the uh, electricity supply. As you know, um, the uh, gas is often used as a way to kind of address peaks in demand, especially when renewable sources of energy cannot uh, really be uh, supplied because there's either, either less sun or less wind and, and therefore uh, sometimes gas is used but in fact uh, coal is a lot cheaper than gas and in some countries still today Germany for example gas uh, coal is used not in Spain by the way Spain no longer uses coal at all for the production of electricity so there, there is this issue uh, in a way it's, it's, if you wish a transition issue which we have to take into account so the objectives remained as valid as ever, even more valid 
that's what I would say the crisis suggests. But at the same time, we need to take into account very seriously the transition issues. But thank you, Raymond. But what about the renewable energies? Are they ready to help reduce uh, those prices? I mean, Anika, you mentioned before we had a summer with not so much wind and so on. So, I mean, uh, is is that are, are new energies ready to support reduce the, the current spike in prices? I would start by giving a very personal example. I myself, um, I have solar panels on our roof and we use them to charge our car, power um, our heat pump system that heats our home. Um, I now, obviously, as many other people, I've been working, working from home for the last year and a half. I've been running the washing machines and dishwashers during the day <laughs> to make use of the electricity produced. And even under the Brussels grey sky, we keep on producing more electricity than we use during the day. I, when I've been comparing uh, the prices of, um, so obviously I'm not paying for gas because we don't use gas in our household. Uh, and when I've been comparing the prices of electricity and that I pay for our household, um, and I should also add here that our house is also well insulated and we're quite uh, good in energy efficiency. Um, the pay, um, I'm paying about one third or half of, um, of my other friends in Brussels in similar sizes of households. And so I would like to, to share the example um, is that I think that already on a household level, people, um, obviously it requires initial investment. Um, luckily nowadays, at least in Belgium, uh, there are incentive schemes and ways for also uh, more vulnerable uh, people to actually install um, solar panels on their roof and benefit from, for example, from heat pump systems. So. I do see that the technologies already exist today for people to actually benefit from renewable energy and actually cut on the prices of um, energy um, that they are paying. And um, what I see aware, the big problem I see at the moment is that to a great extent, at least I'm looking at things uh, from the Brussels lens at the moment, uh, but for example, if you're looking at the housing market in Brussels at the moment, it's very, very difficult to find a house or apartment that uh, is currently being built um, that would not have gas heating uh, still installed. And so I think that unfortunately, the policy and the regulatory framework is coming very much behind of where we should be heading. And unfortunately, people those that are buying houses, apartments, or are investing in them are not actually being incentivized uh, to, to go and are not enabled to actually buy apartments uh, that are already benefiting from renewable energy sources. So I just wanted to tell a personal, uh, personal story to showcase that I think that there is enormous potential. We, on the grander scale of things, we obviously know that the, the prices of um, renewables have, have been coming crashingly down. And I think that it certainly provides an economic incentive for on a system level to be investing in renewable energies. But there are obviously some of these gaps and challenges that we need to address. The issues around 
uh, storage. We should be better in using smart grids. Uh, we should be uh, making sure that uh, we also enable consumers to play a role, um, use energy in a, in a smart way by looking at the demand side. Uh, because obviously with renewables coming to the grid, we need to think of the electricity market in a totally different way than had, what has been done so far. Um, and so this, there are these barriers that need to be addressed. I think those, Anika, those examples are, are very good because they point to the fact that public policies are crucial to make this journey a success because obviously you need to offer people the right choices. You need to support them because, you know, the, some investments can be expensive. But Raymond, I think Europe is in a position to do this well with the new next generation funds and the and the green and digital transition. They go all into the same direction. Is that what is that right? Absolutely, they all, all these go in the same direction. But I would I would add that uh, it's it's very urgent to uh, take take measures in, in this area because in the in the very short term, what we see is this uh, continuous escalation of prices which actually is now feeding into inflation you know the overall inflation rate is well possible according to our projections now we reach inflation rates or in the order of four percent by the end of the year if not more and still at least the beginning of next year and this is in, in large part because of this phenomenon of increasing electricity and energy prices and now in addition to that oil is, is getting more expensive as well so i'm saying this because there is, uh, an, unfortunately, an amalgamation, you know, sometimes in the public opinion and, and uh, the, the risk always of a bit of a backlash vis-a-vis -vis what otherwise are extremely important and actually uh, absolutely necessary environmental objectives. And so I believe that this is why I believe that measures should be taken now. And in particular, well, some things will take time, of course, for example, and I very much agree with uh, the example that Anika was saying, uh, the you know uh, connection of home-based electricity production to the grid with the possibility even to get uh, some remuneration for the surplus of electricity produced by for example solar panels uh, also of course a very significant increase in the supply of renewable energy with uh, more bits being applied here and there in, in, in all countries these are things which in the medium and longer run will play a very important role indeed will be crucial for ensuring much more affordable prices and and with much less uh, CO2 emissions. But in the short term, I think also it's important to look at electricity markets themselves and the way they operate. It's, matter, it's a matter very much of regulation. Um, uh, they, they ha they, there's an idea which has been launched recently by uh, the government of Spain. I understand also it's been discussed in Europe, the ECB, Christine Lagarde is, I think, welcome it as well, which is to uh, combine um, so, uh, purchases or big purchases of energy by all European countries. It would make it uh, a bit less expensive. So I think that's a good thing. But I think there, there is more of a structural measure that needs to be done to in the determination of prices in electricity prices. And the way the system operates now, which uh, tends to give very significant weight to daily prices vis-a-vis uh, -vis medium term prices, um, I think uh, maybe a factor behind the very significant volatility we're seeing at the moment. And at least in terms of transmitting uh, uh, daily electricity prices to consumers, 
be, be those consumers, households, people, or enterprises, I think this, this can be changed. And I think for that, we need, we need not only next generation EU as a big investment program, which obviously goes in the, in the right direction because it will increase the supply in the medium to longer run, but we also need some reforms in the short run in the market for electricity prices in order to make those more affordable and less exposed to this extreme volatility we're seeing at the moment. Annika, I'd love to, to know your opinion about what Raimond is saying, because on top of the long term and the, the, the transition is going to take some time, but we need some short term solutions for this winter. And you mentioned before the issue of uh, energy poverty. And some people are really concerned with the, with where prices are going and the winter is around the corner. So what can be done in the short term to um, to help those that are in need to pay their bills? Unfortunately, it's uh, we are faced with the same problem over and over again. And uh, this is not, as I said, this is not the first time we see uh, the energy prices go up and especially the gas prices go up and the EU being in trouble and thinking how do we manage the next winter and the cold winter and how do we actually ensure that the people can actually heat their homes. Luckily, um, I must say, luckily the EU has learned from past and we have put in place uh, very good schemes to ensure that uh, they will will be able to address some of these peaks in prices and uh, increases in demand and that there are these kind of solidarity mechanisms that we are trying to use to make sure that actually at least gas can flow to all parts of uh, or all parts of Europe. At the same time, the fact that we keep on coming back to this issue time and time again, and the fact that we see that we are extremely vulnerable in the face of these volatile gas markets, rather than just talking, we really should be looking at what we can do to reduce our dependence. And obviously this cannot be done overnight, but unfortunately at the moment we see that decisions are being made in the EU, and I would say especially in some member states, and here I'm especially referring to Germany, uh, with the example of Nord Stream projects, uh, where actually we're not reducing our dependence on Russia and Russian gas, but we're actually increasing our dependence. And the fact, if we're looking at the rise in energy prices at the moment, I think it's worth to recognize that we have a number of EU member states, mostly from Eastern and Baltic states, um, but, uh, but nevertheless, they have appealed to the European Commission to launch an investigation in, in the Russian uh, gas company Gazprom and their activities. And they expect that uh, Russia has been restraining supply of gas in order to push up prices and pressure Germany to actually um, to launch the Nord Stream 2 um, as quickly as possible. And also International Energy Agency is saying that the Russian exports to Europe are down from 2019 levels, which indicates that Russia could actually do more to increase supplies ahead of winter. So I think that there is a recognition that really should be taking place here and now it is that we are continuously facing the same issue is that as we are extremely dependent on Russia for gas and we know that Russia um, has a tendency to use 
gas exports for its geopolitical gain and to use it strategically. And it is extremely naive from Europe to actually increase its dependence on Russian, uh, Russian gas in this kind of circumstances. Obviously, reducing dependence uh, will not happen overnight and we will need, continuously need to try to improve ways on how we can actually enhance Europe's energy security. And many of these things will require investments, they will require using our policy tools to make sure that we invest in energy efficiency, we invest in renewable energy, uh, improve the storage capacity and uh, ensure that we have a functioning electricity market in order to get where we need to go. But so I just wanted to say that uh, there is, this is not the first time this is happening. And uh, it's, we have a bit of a tendency to always <laughs> react that, oh no, it's happening again. And uh, what, uh, what should we do to get over the winter? And we should be starting to look ahead. Absolutely. I know. I think you, you touched on something that is very, very important here. And I think it's a, it's, it's a good, uh, good point to finish this conversation. I'm going to ask Raymond a final reaction on this. But also, Raymond, we talk a lot about the strategic autonomy of Europe. And this clearly has an energy pillar. And we rely so much on others to provide energy. And, and honestly, we, we struggle with our prices and we struggle to have a coherent foreign policy. So this is a major issue. Yes, it is. It is a major, a major issue, and I think it's one of the defining elements of a strategic autonomy. Indeed, this energy question, and also not only in a defensive manner, uh, but also you know more, much more, um, you know, actively looking for ways to expand our economies, but to do so in ways which are much more consistent with our comparative advantage. And a comparative advantage in Europe overall is not to produce. Uh, foresight sources of energy, but rather we have other other sources of energy. So I think that would be consistent with that. And I think um, Europe has started. And I think the next generation EU is a good start. I again, you know, I think it, it, we, we miss a, a re regulatory or reform element in terms of uh, power uh, markets, so uh, electricity markets in particular. But in addition to that, I think there is, um, if you look at the, the plans that have been submitted, the next generation EU plans, national plans, most countries have used the direct transfers coming from uh, EU funds, basically uh, resources which do not need to be reimbursed. But few countries have used the um, kind of credits available in those as part of those EU funds. And I think um, this, this, in a way, could show a bit of a lack of ambition and uh, I, I believe, especially this kind of crisis we're seeing at the moment in terms of prices, I think maybe it's a good time to, to remember that we have those funds available and they can be used for something which is of common interest. And for example, uh, green hydrogen, which is a way to make sure that we can store electricity coming from um, renewable en energy, which is a kind of potential technology which maybe would allow that. I think this is something for which we need Mm, uh, among other things, financial resources, and I think these are available as part of those funds. So I think this is something very concrete that can be done right now. Start invest in order to have a better future. And, and in the future, in that sense, we will not be talking so much about this kind of ups and downs of, of energy prices, but we maybe have a, a, an entirely different conversation. This is, a, this is a great point. There are funds available and we badly need them to make sure this transition is a 
success and we managed to lower the prices and we managed to reduce our dependencies. Thank you both. Um, Annika Hedberg, Head of Sustainable Prosperity for Europe program at European Policy Center. Thank you for joining, Annika. Thank you so much. Thank you, Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director. Stay well. Thanks very much. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well.